Amen. Well, uh, after two months, we have come to the close of the 2020 Vision Message Series. I figured you might applaud after the last two weeks, okay? Stop it, okay? (laughs) I would actually like to applaud you. I love being a part of a church where we can have difficult conversations, where we don't always have to agree to love each other. Man, that is beautiful. And sometimes you have to stretch yourself. For instance, I've got to stretch to love Dan Burgess after he outed my tattoos. I've been trying to cover them up for a long time, and now you know. Well, if you believe that, you believe anything. All right. I love talking about vision. The wise man said, without vision, God's people perish. And that word for perish there means they go their own ways. They're scattered. What he's saying is, if you don't have a big enough vision to unite you apart from your differences, we all end up wandering away, and what he says is, is the cause of God perishes. So we've been talking for weeks about God's mission for his church. Guys, here's the good news. We didn't invite it, invent it. Everybody's always saying, what? what's your new mission for Landmark? What's your new vision for? No, we, we don't have to come up with a new one. That was decided a long time ago, Amen. Now, it is intimidating when I read the Great Commission that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. At times I'm paralyzed because I can't do that. You ever tried to take on something that you couldn't do? Now, you're going to think this is crazy, but about 15 years ago, I took it upon myself that I was going to save Kmart. Okay, we had a Kmart on the Atlanta Highway. We lived close to there, and man, they had just expanded, you know. And so I'm boycotting Walmart. I'm going to Kmart. I could not save them from themselves, okay? Because I'm trying to do that on my own. Maybe we might have had more success if I'd invited you to join me, okay? You probably wouldn't have done it, but I might have invited you. And maybe, you know, that was such a desperate place, I probably should have invited God to help me because somebody needed to help them. And you just can't do it on your own. Now, when we talk about saving the world, I think, oh, my goodness, where do I start? What do I do? I can't do this. But the news today is together with the power of God, we can do this. And so today I want to invite you to a really wonderful scripture that I've never preached on, don't really remember reading until about a month ago, Ezekiel chapter 47. It was so cool about this, when I performed uh, Les and, and Julie Meyer's wedding just a week ago, they asked me to read this scripture in the middle, of it. I thought, wow, something's coming together. Now let me say this before we go there. When Stephanie and I went a few weeks ago to, to Mexico, we, we were blessed to go to what's called the Secret River. That was our excursion. And you can see a picture of that up here. And it was this incredible underground river, inland in Mexico. You, you, had to, you had to put a wetsuit on. One of the cool things was it's the same temperature year-round. You had to put a wetsuit on. You, you had to sort of crawl through some small places, wade through some, you know, deeper places. Sometimes there's just a trickle of water. And at times you'd get into an incredible place like this where you saw the stalactites and the stalagmites growing. And it was, it was beautiful. And you actually could, you had to swim to get past that. Now, 
that we were there, and I thought, wow, this is so cool. So I asked our tour guide leader, I said, could, could you just cut the lights off for a minute so we can see how dark it is? And she cut them off. I think she cut them off for five minutes. The woman beside me goes into a panic attack. She did not speak to me the rest of the tour, okay? But it was such an amazing, beautiful thing. Here's the crazy thing about it. Though it had been there for centuries, it was not discovered until 2006 by an impoverished native Mexican who went to this land, and on top of it, it was just desolate. Nothing would grow there. Nothing would happen there. And one day, he's actually trying to kill a rodent, and he goes down this tunnel, and he runs into this. It's 20 miles long. It's amazing. Now, listen to this. After he discovered this river, this has become one of the number one tourist places in, in Mexico. That poor peasant is now a very rich man. And what I want to say to you today is if you can dive with me, good word, buddy, if you can dive with me into the river of God today, you can walk out of here a very rich man or woman. So let's get into this passage. Now, you've got to understand the imagery here. This is, this is typical biblical imagery, this, this idea of the river of life. We first see it in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning of Genesis. We last read about it in the kingdom of heaven in Revelation chapter 22. And all between, there's all these imagery of God flowing and working through a mountain, through, through a river. Now, here's what I want you to understand before we start reading. Ezekiel needed this vision. You see, Jerusalem has been under, overrun. Ezekiel's just 30 years old. He's in a refugee camp in Babylon. Everything around him looks desolate. It doesn't look like God's moving. And so the angel comes and shares with him this vision. Ezekiel chapter 47. The man brought, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outside gate facing east. And the water, listen, was trickling, trickling from the south side. And then look what happens. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. That's about five football fields, okay? And then he led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand. He led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river and I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? You see, Ezekiel needed to see this. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this morning, I know I need to see this. I hope you do. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. Now see the picture. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, the water flows from the eastern region and goes down into Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creature will live wherever the river flows. There'll be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. 
So where it flows, the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engelim, and there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. In other words, in all this incredible vision, God leaves enough salt for them to be able to preserve their food. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on the banks of the river. The leaves will not wither, nor will the fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. What a great imagery of the way God works. Well, let's, let's start talking about that. Po- point number one, what happens when you get in the river of life? First of all, it all flows from the presence of God. This is a miraculous river because it has no tributary. It just starts right there under the throne of God in the temple. You see, that's where God dwelled. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. Under where we live today, God has a people for his temple. And God's where the power of God flows is from within you and I, the temples of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said. On the edge of the temple in John chapter 7, he made this promise. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So guys, what I want you to understand is, this mission we're talking about, it starts when you're in the presence of God. It starts like that song that Dan quoted a little while ago. Love made the first move. And guys, here's the good news we started on back at the beginning of January. God loved you before you ever loved him. And it's out of that love relationship with God. You see, don't try to move past this. Until you have that secure love relationship with God, the mission's not able to move on. So that's where it starts. And that's why Jesus said, this is the number one first command. Love God, period. Now, watch further. Number two, it just starts as a trickle. And guys, this is the way God works. God works in little bitty ways. I mean, just think about some of the stories of Scripture. Abraham became the father of many nations. When God finally said, Abraham, you're old enough, you need to move out of your parents' basement, and I'll tell you where to go. Moses is a rejected leader because of his own mistakes. He's wandered in a deserted area, and God says, there's a burning bush over there. Would you go talk to me, and I'll give you some instructions, and a movement started. David could not even make the army. He's a little kid who sent from his mommy and daddy to feed his brothers some snacks to the battlefield. And yet in the middle of that, God works through this young man to defeat Goliath. And it puts him on a trajectory where he becomes the man after God's own heart. And then even Jesus. God doesn't bring Jesus with a ticker tape parade. God doesn't bring Jesus in a showy way. He has Jesus born in a barn to a teenage girl in the middle of animals. God loves to start small. Now, that's sort of hard for us because we live in a culture that loves bigness, and we love the shiny. And, you know, I'm sort of wired that way, man. I want every Sunday to be the life-changing day of my life and your life. But that's normally not the way God works. You know, we we live in a day where, I mean, some of us have been long enough 
around long enough to watch the evolution of the Super Bowl halftime show. I'm not saying it's good, but we've watched it, okay? Anybody remember when you just had a band? Just band? I thought that was pretty good. And, and now we've evolved where you've got to have, you know, star singers. You've got to have hundreds of dancers. You've got to have fireworks around the stadium. You basically, by this year, had to turn into a strip show. Because we're in a culture that loves the big and the shiny. And sometimes when it comes to God, we're not willing for God to work in his way. Because God starts with a trickle. He starts with the small. It might be that coach who saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. It might be that single mom who, despite being so tired on Sunday, woke her children up and drug them to church because she wanted to know about Jesus. It might be that friend in college who invited you to that little, small dorm Bible study that changed your life. It might be that youth minister who just never gave up on you, even when you want to give up on yourself. It probably started with a parent who held you in their lap and told you the story of Jesus. In my life, a great turning point was when an older, impoverished widow lady in my church decided to take me under her wings, and she would put a Bible in my hand and take me to someone's house and say, read. Or she'd take me to the nursing home, and she'd say, pray. She never told me to sing. She would take me to to those places. And that changed the trajectory of my life. And guys, it's like an aircraft carrier. If you can just make a one-degree turn, you'll end up in a different part of the world. And guys, what I'm asking you today is to consider a one-degree turn. Consider taking your next step. It'll make a big difference. I think about some of the most influential people that I know. Al Milligren made a decision 45 years ago that he would read his Bible every day, and he's done it all those years. I think of our brother Ken Crosby, who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, impoverished, with a family where no one followed Jesus, but he met his wife and fell in love with Jesus. And I could not tell you the number of people that the Crosby family has blessed since that moment. I think of that African-American woman who spoke to us in Forgiveness is a Choice, who'd watched Dylan Roof shoot down people in the basement of her church, including her best friend, And yet she started a movement when she said, I have no choice but to forgive. I think of this if gathering we've been promoting. Guys, that started years ago in our church with just one small group of women meeting around a table. And now it's exploded to dozens of tables and making a big difference in people becoming more like Jesus. I think of my friend Ben Blanchard, who probably 15 years ago started a life group that since that moment has multiplied at least five times, and now it's all over our community. Guys, it starts small. And then number two, number three, excuse me, it cannot be contained. The river of God cannot be contained. It, It could not be confined to the house of God. At the house of God, it was small. But the idea was not to keep it within those walls or under those walls. The idea was it to flow, and it begins to overflow, and it begins to get wider and deeper, so deep, so wide, that no one could even swim across it. It reminds me of the movement of God in the book of Acts, where Jesus said, before he ascended, ye will be my witnesses in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, we can't contain it. 
Back in the first century, when Christianity was first on the scene, there was a governor of Turkey who actually called Christians a contagion. He thought we were like a bad disease. But he writes to the people under him, you probably heard about this contagion called Christians, but he said, I think we can contain it. When that man wrote that, Christianity was just a few thousand people. In just a century, it was over millions of people. I think about our fears when the, the communists took over, communists, uh, took over China in 1949. I mean, for, for a century, Western countries had sent missionaries to China. Probably when they left, when they were all run out, there were 50,000 Christians. And we didn't know what happened. Our assumption was the communists had contained it, and when the bamboo curtain came down about two decades ago, we found out there weren't 50,000 Christians in China. There were 50 million. Because you can't contain it. And that's our challenge. Mind, please don't think this mission we're talking about is a church program. Or you got to wait for the church to do something. That's, you don't need permission from us because you have already received a commission from God. So don't contain it. The, the challenge is not what we do here. The challenge is what we do when we walk out of here and the river of God flows. Now, sometimes when I get discouraged, I think, you know, there's not much going on around here. All I need to do is go to lunch with one of you guys or go to breakfast. And I sit down and I hear you talk about people you're serving and people you're loving and parts of this country, where, parts of this city where you're serving and people you're, you're, you're loving on, and man, I, I walk away and go, my goodness, I know about this much of what happens in this church, and God's doing about this much. Because you cannot contain it. It might start as a trickle, but it's going to overflow the banks. And that brings me to number four. It streams to low places. That's the way God works. You see, how far does it stream? It streams to the lowest place on this earth. What is that? It's the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a place where rivers flow into it, but nothing ever flows out of it. And the evaporation rate is so high that it has become the, the most salty place on the earth. That's why you can go to the you know, Dead Sea and, and float. You don't have to know how to swim. But the problem with the Dead Sea is it's so salty, nothing can live in it or around it. You know, in East Montgomery, we all complain about this crazy prairie soil, right? You ever tried to grow something in prairie soil? It dies, doesn't it? So you have to dig it out and put some good soil in there. My friends, our prairie soil doesn't compare to the soil around the Dead Sea. It was absolutely lifeless. But guys, what the river of life does is it flows into the low places that look hopeless and look gloomy and seem to be completely broken. And when Jesus came to this earth, when he's given his mission statement, he said, this is the way God works. I'm going to go to the prisoners, and I'm going to go to the poor, and I'm going to go to the sick, and that's where I will work. And guys, I listen to me today. God has a magnetic pull to people in low places. Why? Because it's people in low places that know they need something. That's why Jesus said, it's the sick who need a doctor. Jesus was not trying to claim that nobody else was sick. He's just saying the people that know life is screwed up are the very people that will be open to my message. And that's why I do love as a church 
that for decades we've been going to the inner city of Montgomery. We've been working with people struggling with addictions. You can find a place here if you are struggling to overcome depression. One of the most effective ministries we have that's not talked about is our ministry to people that are struggling through cancer. They do so much work and so busy right now. I I think of um, hope-inspired ministry. They said, you know, we're not just going to give people a handout. We're going to give people a hand up. We're going to help teach them how to make a living. I'm so thrilled what happened and started last Wednesday night in this building. Ladies that are victim of sexual abuse have a safe place to come. And my friends, that river doesn't just flow here in this church or in this region. It flows all the way across the world, and it lands in Malawi, Africa, in an orphanage with little kids. And let me tell you today, you have not just met our mission budget, you've exceeded it. We are over $220,000 right now. Thank you. So it streams into low places. And then here's the most important point of all, number five. It brings life. It starts with the presence of God as a trickle at the temple. It expands and gets deeper and wider and wider. It can't be contained. It lands in those low places where there's nothing and life is brought. Everything this water touches is transformed. Everything and everybody who encounters it receives life. In fact, just if you have a chance later, go underline all the words about what happens when this river of life arrives. Here's, here's the words I've underlined. It's fresh. It's alive. It's growing. It's fruitful. It's filling. It's healing. You see, Jesus put it this way. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And you've experienced that, and I have. He wants to kill what God's doing. But the great news this morning is God's Spirit is more powerful. And that's why Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. The word there means, I've come to give you life that's overflowing. So it starts small, and it grows. But here's the, the good news. Not only can it touch you, But guys, you know what happens in a river? It flows downstream. And guys, what what happens with you and me, there are going to be people in our downstream. The reason you're here this morning, and I'm here this morning, honestly, is because of that my mama who taught me about Jesus, because of that widow lady who told me you could be a minister. I'm in the downstream of their lives, and you're in the downstream of somebody's life yourself. And here's the good news. The decisions you make now will affect people for a long time. We we always go to this passage. It scares me to death. Exodus chapter 20, the sins of the father will be passed down to the third and fourth generation. Oh, I hate that. But I've missed till this week the next verse. The faithfulness of the fathers will be passed down for a thousand generations. You see, guys, if if you make a small decision today, you change the trajectory of your life. It's not just going to bless you, but it's going to bless the people who follow you. So I want to ask you a couple questions as we come here toward the end. Number one, how deep are you in the mission of God? We've been talking about this mission for for two months. And and this is not just a mission statement for, for us as a church as a whole. 
where it really comes down to is you and me. It doesn't come down to the hour and 15 minutes we spend here so much as it comes down to what we're going to do outside of here. And would you look at this, this picture? And would you try to answer this question? Have you even entered the mission of God? Are you ankle deep? Would you go with Ezekiel to be knee deep? Could you go all the way to your waist deep? And even better, to you got to swim? Here's, here's our challenge for you today. Is it's time for us, not as just a church, but as individuals to go deeper? And here's the second question that follows that question. Are you experiencing life in the river of God? And guys, when we read the Great Commission eight weeks ago, Jesus said, when you get on this commission, I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. And guys, when you throw yourself in the mission of God and you get in this river of life, you begin to experience life on a different level. Like so many people say nowadays, you will become the best version of yourself because you will become God's version of you. So this morning, I ask you, are you experiencing those things? Now, in your lifelines, I want to ask you to take out a little card here. We're about to have a time of prayer. In just a few moments, I'm going to call our shepherds and their wives around here. And, and there, there are two things that you could ask to be prayed about this morning. And just take the time to fill this out in the next few moments or even when we start singing. Maybe you need to pray for God's mission for you. You know, I, I'm asking the shepherds today to pray that I'll be more bold, to pray that I'll be more full of faith. So I want to preach the gospel and expect people to change. I've seen some of that this week, and it blew my mind. Or you just need to pray for you to find life in the river of life. Right now, you're not living the abundant life. Satan has stolen your joy. And so what I'd ask you to do is to to fill those top parts out, whichever one you want to answer, write your name on it, and in just a moment, our shepherds will come, and they'll surround this stage. You don't have to say something. I don't have to come up here and read something. You just get the people that shepherd your soul to pray for you. So be thinking about that. I'm thinking about how these things start small. You may not even see it in your lifetime. The impact of your decision. My life was impacted because my great, great, great grandmother came to Jesus. I think a little bit right now about Black History Month. I think of that incredible speech that Martin Luther King gave on that sweltering summer day, August the 28th, 1963. He had a dream. I want you to listen to just a few lines in it. He said, I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down at a table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, that it will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a country where they are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that one day in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. 
My friend, amen. Martin Luther King did not live to see his dream fulfilled. And it's not completely fulfilled today. But here's the great news. In this building today, the dream he had for Alabama has been fulfilled. And my friends, the trajectory you make today, the the decision you make today, you may never see all the fruit of it in your lifetime. Hopefully not. Neither will I. But you could create a downstream beauty that will impact everybody who comes past you. So I want to I want to stop and, and, and read Revelation 22. When I'm doing this, I'd like to ask the shepherds of our church to come with their wives. I'd also like to ask Dan and Leanne, Nathan and Jennifer, any of our other ministers and their wife, Gail and Doug, if you, you'd come because I think there'll be a lot of people that want to pray today. Stephanie and I will be down here. But guys, here's the way the story of humanity ends. It's Revelation chapter 22. Just listen to this incredible picture of this river of life that gave hope to Ezekiel that I pray will give hope to you. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever. This morning, if you need some folks to pray for you today, that you begin a taste of heaven and experience that river of life, just bring that little card up here and let some of us pray for you as we all stand together and sing.